Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, John Chrisman on dealing with moments of conscience in the workplace. And so this temptation to rationalize, to say, I believe one thing on Sundays, but at the workplace, I'm going to hold my tongue and I'm going to acquiesce and I'm going to be silent is, is very tempting because our jobs come attached to paychecks and those paychecks pay for things like houses and rent and grocery and school bills and, and everything else. John Chrisman next. It's the kind of thing believers hope never happens, an instance where current job duties or obligations come into direct conflict with one's beliefs or convictions. Pennsylvania assistant pastor and former practicing attorney John Chrisman thinks Christians need to be prepared for that possibility, and as such wrote the article, A Biblical Framework for Deciding Workplace Moments of Conscience. John, tell us about your own workplace background and your motivations for writing this piece. Sure. This piece really comes out of uh, my work history. For over 10 years, I was an attorney, mostly practicing in private law firms, but also uh, representing Christian individuals and businesses through pro bono work and also spending some time with a religious liberty nonprofit. A few years ago, I left my legal practice and uh, enrolled full time in seminary, and I just graduated from seminary in May. And uh, this article was really an outgrowth of those combined experiences and education, both time in the law, representing individuals who were facing these kinds of workplace moments of conscience, and thinking through these issues, both as an attorney and then uh, as, a, as a student theologian. Okay, and if you would define for us, what is a workplace moment of conscience? A workplace moment of conscience is any time in the employment context where there's a situation, an employment obligation or task that runs into conflict or tension with what one believes. And can you give a few examples? This can arise in many different kinds of situations and settings. Someone can be asked to uh, endorse or affirm a certain statement can be required to uh, take certain certification trainings and classes in order to receive a degree or certain professional licensing. This can sometimes be attendance at a certain event or meeting in which your presence is being counted in favor of something. It can be using certain words or terminology within the workplace. It can take a lot of different forms based upon different employment situations, circumstances, and settings. And I know we'll get into some of the, the specifics, but uh, you also, early on in your piece, you cite John Stone Street of the Colson Center, where he's urging uh, constructing a theology of getting fired. Uh, that, that might sound a little bit alarming to some people, but what is that uh, that he's talking about, and how does it uh, apply to what you're saying here? Yes, John Stone Street for years, I think for six or seven years at this point, I've been a longtime listener and follower of Breakpoint, 
and have listened to Stone Street and the Colson Center for many years. And, and he has spoken often of the need for Christians to develop what he calls a theology of getting fired or a theology of being fired because of these workplace moments of conscience that arise so regularly and, and even more frequently now for many believers. He emphasized the importance of this because so many Christians work, so many Christians are facing these situations to begin to think about and think through how they will decide these moments when they when they encounter them in their workplaces. He's been for years and years on the radio, he's been encouraging Christians to uh, develop this theology of getting fired. And so as a humble response to uh, Mr. Stone Street's plea, I have uh, put to, put together the beginnings of a framework and an approach as to how anyone who's facing these kinds of situations can begin to think through how they should uh, work out and decide their particular moment of conscience in the workplace. And you believe more and more believers are facing them today and and it'll continue to increase in the future. I do. Not only are we hearing of more of these stories and examples within the media and within litigation within the courts, but I think anybody listening to this program probably knows somebody or perhaps even themselves has been experiencing or, or can see down the road uh, an instance where they, they might be asked to participate in or endorse or affirm something that they know goes against what their convictions are and what they believe. And I do think that there's an increasing amount of these cases for many different factors. And, and part of that is because a number of employers are really forcing and getting behind certain movements, certain agendas, certain ideas, and they're encouraging and inviting their employees and forcing and mandating some of them to, to join along with them. That's also the result of an increased amount of public attention and actual legal mandates that are coming from various governmental entities uh, forcing employers to require certain things. And can you perhaps give us an example or two at this point, what uh, what that looks like for those that uh, maybe haven't encountered that so far? Yeah, the the most ready fit example for this is really in the, in the context of the issuance of licenses, marriage licenses to same sex couples, which, um, you know, 10 more than 10 years ago, there was a lot of litigation, a lot of legislation that was passed. And in 2015, in the Obergefell decision from the Supreme Court, that recognized under the United States Constitution a, a federal constitutional right to uh, same-sex marriage. That was really uh, a kickstart and really fanned the flame for a lot of these conflicts and points of tension because marriage is so widespread and touches so many things within the workplace involved with insurance benefits and, and how relationships are treated within the workplace, that that simple uh, legal issue and um, array of issues associated with it has really caused a, a, a widespread advance of the number of conflicts within the workplace. What would be an example of such a conflict? Um, I mean, obviously there was the, uh, was it the Secretary of State or it was a, it was a clerk in Kentucky 
who 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 refused to issue the licenses, and then she, uh, I think she lost her job over that. Yes, I was actually one of the attorneys uh, for a period of time that was representing the Kentucky County Clerk Kim Davis uh, during that case in the year following uh, the Obergefell decision. And that was a particular moment for her where she was being asked to sign and affix her name to marriage licenses that were being issued to same-sex couples. But it can also arise in the context of different certifications that employers will require for certain employees, for employees to affirm certain statements, statements or agree to certain things, or employers telling employees or uh, treating employees differently based upon their different associations and statements that they make on these issues. And I'm thinking uh, back to the pandemic, w- would one of these issues uh, be the, the vaccine? It seems like that uh, some people had to choose between their jobs and the vaccine. Yes, within the pandemic, there were a whole host of issues that that arose from, from the vaccine. And actually, the the matter of religious accommodation within the workplace with respect to vaccines and other medical treatments. It was not the first time that those issues were ever on the foreground or ever had to be dealt with. Uh, It may have been the first time for many individuals that they were having to make that decision. But that was one of the many, many instances that are out there where, you know, certain folks had a religious objection to a certain vaccine and uh, many employers in that time were forcing employees to get a vaccine, which people objected to. And so people had to ask for religious accommodations, and uh, some even had to seek other employment. Mm. Is this something that you have encountered personally in in your work background? I've only ever encountered it in individualized particular situations that, that have arisen uh, I've never been kind of forced all the way down to the goal line where I've had to choose between a particular conviction and keeping the job that I held at that particular moment. But I know that is a choice that many, many people have have been forced to make. They've they've tried many different options. They've tried alternative routes. They've sought accommodations that have been denied and they've been brought to that moment where they they have to choose between the job that they've been prepared for and called for, perhaps spent lots of years and and much money preparing for that particular job and career path. And it's now teetering on on the edge that in order to keep that job, they might be asked to affirm or endorse something that they know they don't believe, or they're being told they can't do something or can't say something that they know to be true. And you do point out in your piece that this is not new territory. And of course, as we hear this, we, we realize these kind of conflicts are not to, not new territory for believers in the past. I mean, in scripture, in church history, even in other parts of the world today. That's right. It's not, it's not new territory for the church. It's not now or historically. I think it is a new and fresh issue for a lot of Americans and Christians in other Western countries, because for a long time, the workplace has not been a setting where what we believe 
and what our convictions are have been brought into direct tension on a regular basis with what we're being asked to do at work or what we're being asked to participate in in the workplace. And so it is it is a new issue for many people uh, because the workplace has not been a one where we thought that our, our beliefs or convictions were going to force us out of the workplace or force us into a decision where we might not be able to stay. Part of that, I think, is is due to cultural influences and 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 a and a wider pressure uh, from society and from government to adopt certain views and certain positions. But I think part of it is also due to a level of comfort that we have come to uh, hold on to um, within our workplaces and within the the financial. Um, benefits that we receive from our jobs. And, you know, we just have not been in our particular context. Many American Christians have not been uh, presented with it, with that tension and that conflict where they have to choose between their calling and, and what they believe. Well, my guest today on His People is Pastor John Chrisman. He is assistant pastor at Windsor Baptist Church in Pennsylvania. He's a former partner in a national law firm. And we're talking about his piece, A Biblical Framework for Deciding Workplace Moments of Conscience. And, uh, John, you propose in, in your article, is a very well-written article, uh, four areas to consider uh, which can help us, uh, help guide us in our analyzing, assessing, and deciding, as you say, these workplace moments of conscience, and they are theology of calling, theology of convictions, a framework for analyzing, assessing these, and the fourth one. The tools for thinking through those workplace moments of conscience. Theology of calling, if you could tell us a little bit about what that is and how that applies to to this issue. Yeah, the theology of calling, what I try to do in the beginning of the article, and what I think those of us who are Christians and know that the Lord has has gifted and called and equipped us that a theology of calling is that we believe that the Lord has called us and equipped us for a particular work, for particular vocations, that in his sovereignty and providence, he has given us talents and, and treasures and experiences and opportunities that prepare us and fit us for particular work. We're to do everything for the glory of God, and, and work is a creational ordinance that he has given. Work is before the fall. Work is a good thing. Of course, work is tainted by sin now in a post-Genesis 3 world, but, but God has called us and equipped us for work, and he has made us to glorify him. And so there's within uh, the church there is a long history of seeing the value of our work and the value of our jobs and our vocations. And the Reformation was really vital in this. Before the Reformation, there had begun to develop kind of a, a two-floor approach to work, that there was a special or divine calling that was reserved for some who pursued um, work within the church. And then there was everybody else, and it was kind of a two-floor approach to work and to calling. But the Reformation really reset this and provided the value and the dignity of all work for the glory 
of God. So whether one's preaching a sermon, pushing a broom, plowing a field, whatever one is doing, it can be done for the glory of God. And God has called us and equipped us for that task and that work. So that's our our vocation, our, our, our work. We're, we're called first and foremost to the Lord. And then he gives us this wide array of the things that he's given us to do. And our vocation, our job is obviously a primary one there. Absolutely. The primary calling that, that all Christians have is as a follower of Christ and to be faithful first and foremost and obedient to the Lord. And there's then a secondary calling. And Oz Guinness is really helpful here in his work in distinguishing between that primary calling that all of us have as Christians and then the secondary calling. Some of us are called to be married. Some are called to be single. Some are called to work uh, outside the home. Some are called to work inside the home. The, that work that happens outside the home takes all different forms. Some are called to be pastors. Some are called to be lawyers. Some are called to be radio radio show hosts, nurses, doctors, janitors, teachers. God calls and equips everyone uh, who's a believer to, to work and to serve him where he has planted them. And then secondly, among these four areas to consider to help guide us, the theology of convictions. And that sounds like what we believe, obviously. That is. That's, that's what we believe. That's our theology. That's our doctrine. That's our conviction. You know, Scripture is a grand story that tells us of God's love in Christ for sinners. But Scripture consists also of propositional truths, things that we believe, things that we confess you know, the book of Hebrews talks about hold fast to your confession of faith. And, and church history here is great for us as well, because we as a church here are confessing things that, that Christians have been confessing and believing for centuries. And these convictions, these creeds, these beliefs that we hold, they're not new. This is what the church has believed and confessed and professed for years and years, and they are rooted in what Scripture says. And so, as believers, it's important for us to always remember what it is that we believe, what our theology is, what our convictions are, and to ground both what we believe and what we were born to do, that is the idea of calling, in Scripture and what Scripture teaches. And then you've uh, the third uh, of these areas to consider you've given us is it really, you've simplified it for us. Uh, it's really a table, a framework for analyzing, assessing these workplace moments of conscience. You describe them as contextualized instances, and they have possible outcomes. And, of course, there's all kinds of different things that can happen. You've described a couple of examples of that. But there are kind of four major sort of combinations of calling and convictions which believers can sort of land on. Is that fair to say? Yes, there's four different options that are presented when you look at both the calling and the convictions. For both calling and convictions, a Christian can either keep them or surrender them is the way that I've phrased it. Mm -hmm. And within the paradigm or the framework for when calling and convictions come into tension with one another in one of these workplace moments of conscience, the, the framework, the table is designed to help Christians think through how do, I, how do I look at these situations when my calling and my convictions are coming into conflict with one another? And what 
that framework ultimately does is to encourage believers that the options that we have as believers are the ones that we always keep our convictions. We never surrender our convictions, no matter what we're asked to do, told to do, required to do in the workplace or beyond. We we keep our beliefs. We keep our con- convictions. Christ is worth it. He is worth it. What we believe is what uh, we have confessed and professed what Scripture teaches, and so we hold fast to that confession. But sometimes that confession that we hold to will be in a workplace setting, and sometimes it will require, we'll keep our calling, and sometimes we'll surrender our calling, which means we simply surrender or resign and leave that current position that we have with a particular employer, and the Lord will then open up another door or lead us into another calling after that. But that framework is is used to encourage Christians to not surrender their convictions and then to also not fall trapped to that quadrant where one says they are keeping their calling but surrendering their convictions. A believer in that case would go along with whatever the the pressure is internally and and to keep their job and they might say well I'll I'll kind of go along with this maybe I don't really agree with it I have a certain amount of income from this uh, uh, this job and I have a family I mean there there are pressures which is it's tempting right there's some pressures which come to bear there Absolutely these are very real pressures that Christians are facing today even as even as we speak being asked or told to do things that they disagree with and so this temptation to rationalize, to say, I believe one thing on Sundays, but at the workplace, I'm going to hold my tongue and I'm going to acquiesce and I'm going to be silent is, is very tempting because our jobs come attached to paychecks and those paychecks pay for things like houses and rent and grocery and school bills and, and everything else. And so it can become very tempting for us to say, I need to keep my calling. In other words, I need to keep my job and and not do anything that's going to cause me to lose it or, or cause any strain because I need to keep that paycheck coming. Sometimes it's, it's merely the societal pressure of we don't want to be thought of as less or different or other. We don't want to be considered bigots within the workplace or within culture. So the temptation can appear for, in a lot of different directions. And there's a real danger here for Christians because where I have also seen this is with those who are younger, may not be in a position of authority or influence or management, sacrificing what they believe in the early years of their employment with the idea in their heads that when they get to a position of influence, authority, or management, then they will make their stand, then they will say what they believe and hold to it. But the problem is, is that the little sacrifices along the way change you and make it so that when and if you do arrive in that position of management, oversight, influence, you're a different person at that point. You may no longer believe what you said you believed, and by then the cost might be so great that very few are willing to make it at that point. So I really want to encourage believers in no matter what position they are in and no matter how small 
the sacrifice or the decision may seem to be faithful in those moments at no matter what point of their career they are in. Well, John, some of these tools may be, may be obvious or not, but, but you've put them in your piece, A Biblical Framework for Deciding Workplace Moments of Conscience. You have tools for deciding these workplace moments of conscience, both the individual dimension and the corporate dimension. And I'm wondering if you could go through those for us and, and uh, explain how they, how they help us navigate Yes, there's a lot of considerations for us, and the way I've broken it down is to think about the individual dimension of these moments of conscience as well as the corporate dimension for the moments of conscience. And individually, we want to really be praying and seeking wisdom. The Lord has given us His Word in the Scriptures, and we can mine those Scriptures deeply. And so we want to seek and desire wisdom. We want to be reading His Word. We want to be praying and asking for wisdom, praying for His guidance, for His Spirit to lead us in these times. And we need to exude humility as we go go through these circumstances and situations. God doesn't call us into the marketplace, into the workplace, and 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 want Christians to be constantly looking for and picking fights with people. We need to walk with humility where we are. And I think individually, I think that's many are easily able to see the importance of that and say, yeah, I understand that I need to do these things as I prepare for these workplace moments of conscience or work through them. But I think one of the temptations within American Christianity and within the church is to too often think of our faith individually and as an individualized consideration. And that's why I think it's very important for us to begin to develop the corporate dimension of the theology of getting fired. Because while it may be a particular person in a particular job that's under the radar in that moment, that person is a member of a church somewhere, a member of a particular congregation, a member of a family. And so as a church, we want to be thinking through how can we financially support that individual or that family if they are forced to resign or leave the position that they're in, or if they are terminated in order to be faithful. We want to be seeing these moments that members of our congregation are facing as teaching moments, as discipleship moments for us as a church, for the families within the church. And we want to be going to others within the church. Don't look at this as something only for you to decide on your own. Seek the counsel of others. Seek the wisdom of others, pastors, elders, other church members, perhaps others that are in the same profession as you are, who know the particularized individual circumstances. And we need to be mindful that in some of these situations, people are going to come to different decisions, different answers on how they approach or resolve a particular workplace moment of conscience. And so we want to be thinking through this as individuals, but we also want to be thinking through this as churches, as congregations that can come around these uh, employees and persons who are facing these workplace moments of conscience. And you propose kind of an interesting uh, consideration, I think, as well, to think about the impact of our of how we handle such a workplace moment of conscience, to think about how it might impact other believers around us. That's absolutely right. Paul talks about how the sufferings that he endured uh, was for the sake of others, that the suffering that he was facing was being used as, as a way to testify to God's glory in his life and a way to encourage 
others. And I see the workplace moments of conscience that, that individuals face as a way to testify to the truth of the gospel, testify to the work of Christ in our lives, the gift of faith, and, and for that to be not only for the individual to grow, but a way to testify to that truth for families and for the churches in which individuals are planted. Because ultimately, we, when we are saved into Christ, we are saved into the church as well. We are saved into his body. And these are opportunities for the church to grow, for the church to proclaim these truths, and for the church to be the church to these individuals and families that might be facing real financial strain in order to be faithful in the workplace. You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest, Pennsylvania Assistant Pastor and former practicing attorney John Chrisman, discussing his piece, A Biblical Framework for Deciding Workplace Moments of Conscience. You can read it by going to thegospelcoalition.org slash themelios, spelled T-H-E-M-E-L-I-O-S. Coming up on tomorrow's program, it's Vance Christie on the life and ministry of 19th century British Christian David Livingston. So Livingston was among several pioneers who did not see their first convert until um, seven years into their faithful ministry. That's tomorrow at the same time, right here on His People. Thanks for listening.